Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and committed to bring you ideas and resources that will develop your nonprofit leadership skills and ability. Thanks, as always, for listening. If you want to be a nonprofit leader or maybe just more effective in the role you're in now, you're in the right place. I'm glad to bring you these weekly conversations with nonprofit leaders who really are on the cutting edge of our sector. And if you would, do me a favor, find the share button. Usually it's in the graphic of this episode on the device you're listening right now. Find the three dots, and that'll help you uh, connect in various forms so that you can share this episode and help us continue to build a global community focused on nonprofit leadership. And I had a fantastic conversation in this episode with Lauren Kaufman, who brings a host of great and practical ideas around volunteer and board management as the president of the Young Women's Alliance in Austin, Texas. And Lauren has done remarkable work leading this organization as a volunteer, mind you, but her advice will apply to you whether you're a volunteer leader or on staff uh, because she has dived in with her colleagues to really develop an organization at every level, in particular how they identify, recruit, and engage volunteers and board members. And we talk about more than just volunteer management. We talk about resuscitating a fundraising campaign. We talk about how do you manage a board of 80 people, and yes, I said 80 people, and so that each one of them can be individually involved in a meaningful way. We talk about using technology like Slack uh, to create a new communication channel for further engagement and much, much more. Lots of reasons to check out the show notes for this episode. It's number 136. Just go to the podcast or the news page at PattonMcDowell.com, and you'll find all of the resources Lauren and I discuss, as well as more information on her and the great work she and her colleagues are doing at the Young Women's Alliance. Speaking of resources, while you're on our website, make sure you connect with us. Go to the bottom of the homepage, and you can find a link to schedule a time to chat. We're happy to give you some time to discuss your nonprofit organization or perhaps more important, your personal journey to nonprofit leadership. We can talk about coaching, training, or even our unique mastermind program, which is currently accepting applicants for the spring cohort of 2022. Check it out as well as find ways to connect with us on social media. We're on all of the primary platforms. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Lauren Kaufman. Lauren, thank you for joining me on The Path. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I am excited as well. You've got a fascinating career, both in the for-profit, but obviously we're going to talk about your nonprofit experience in particular with the Young Women's Alliance there in Austin. Uh, So why don't we start with that question? How did you get involved in YWA and, of course, in the nonprofit sector? Yeah, that's a great question. So... To just backtrack a little bit, I I moved to Austin seven years ago. I moved here for my for-profit job uh, with an asset manager in Austin, and I am still there, but I also run a nonprofit in my spare time. That is really what (laughs) fills my cup. Um, I uh, joined the Young Women's Alliance Pretty soon after I moved to Austin, YWA is a nonprofit membership-based organization that seeks to empower the next generation of women leaders in the community. So we do this by various leadership opportunities, programming, mentorship, volunteer, just anything and everything um, you could think of YWA offers. So when I moved to Austin, uh, I really had no friends. It was, it's a tough time to move to a city as an adult. Right. So I got involved in YWA and quickly became a chair there. I was our marketing newsletter chair. And I always tell this story to prospective members because I had no newsletter experience, much less any marketing experience. But one of the beautiful things about YWA is We have over 80 chair roles. So if there's any skill set you want to learn, this is such a great way to get hands-on experience. 
and so I became the newsletter chair and I quickly learned MailChimp and now that's on my resume. <laughs> Practical so, experience, right? Exactly. And from there, it just kind of took off. I eventually joined the board. We have uh, 16 board of directors. And one thing that makes YWA just really different is we're an entirely volunteer-run organization. So we have no paid staff at all. Uh, me, my board of directors, and our chairs are literally running this organization. So it's just a great opportunity for women to you know, experience what it's like to run a company and Hopefully they go off and, you know, do it in their real careers one day. Right, so right. that's kind of my journey with how I got here as president. It's fascinating. And again, speaks to a lot of the issues I know our listeners will appreciate. And because many are like you working a quote, full-time for-profit job, but have aspirations. So that's what makes your journey fascinating. Of course, how you manage this uh, large number of volunteers is in fact, I think the headline you and I talked about for this episode, mm -hmm. and we're going to get into that. But let me ask you this. I, I guess YWA is, is part of a national network. And did that network kind of help you get started? So YWA is actually, it's local to Austin. We're the only chapter. So wow. we are just here in Austin. We've been around for over 25 years. And um, yeah, so we, we, a few women many years ago realized there was no sort of, you know, networking group for business women in the community. And so they started it and we've just grown like crazy uh, over the past few years, especially the last six months, we've grown 40%. That's so remarkable. really exciting. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what you want, right? But did you find any value in other kind of membership associations? I guess here in Charlotte, you know, there's the Junior League and other kind yeah. of gender-specific organizations. But obviously, most communities have the Chamber and other things. So what did you turn to? Or maybe nothing because of the unique nature of YWA? No, that's a great question. We really try to partner with and um, strategize with the other similar, you know, young professional type organizations here right. in town. We have a close relationship with the Young Men's Business League. The two of our organizations actually run the Austin Under 40 Awards here in Austin. And um, it's the premier black tie gala in Austin. We honor the change makers in our community. So we have a really close relationship with them. Um, just, you know, different YPOs as well. We're trying to, we're always trying to increase that, those relationships. So they, you know, together, I look at it as we all play an integral part in our community. And um, I'm a big believer and we can all help each other out. That's so well put. And I talk about a, a, a kind of a, a presentation I do around the five keys to successful nonprofits, but alliance building is one of the five. And mm -hmm. obviously you're doing that very well. But let me ask you back to your statistic of the remarkable growth over the last six months. To what do you attribute that remarkable growth? I mean, obviously, you're a hot organization right now. Or why are so many women signing up for YWA? Yeah, I think it's a few things. I think one, you know, within the last six months, we've had this 40% growth. So we've had almost 200 members join. And it's the most members we've ever had and definitely the most amount of growth in this short time frame. I think it's a few things. One, I think um, with, you know, COVID and um, the vaccine coming on board, more people felt comfortable going to in-person events and um, whatnot. So we had 131 new members join in July, which was just, we knew it was going to be high, but we didn't know. I mean, we were anticipating like 60, but we just <laughs> right. absolutely blew out of the water. Almost all, when I go to new member orientations, uh, almost all of our members are new to Austin, or maybe they moved here in February, 2020. And, you know, then this little thing called COVID happened. And yes. so they're just really looking for a sense of community. And that's really why I joined. So I can relate to these women so much about just you know, how great it is to join this community and have all these opportunities at your fingertips. So um, I also have to give a huge shout out to my team, my board of directors. They, I mean, from our membership to marketing, 
it's all just been so strategic and targeted and just really on the next level. Uh, the talent I have on my board, it's, it's amazing. It's so fun to watch these women just achieve, you know, incredible things and they make it look easy. Well, that's a credit to the organization and to the talent you've assembled. And of course, you know, Lorna, if I'm a nonprofit leader listening, it's like, wow, how do I tap into that kind of young professional talent like you have in Austin in whatever community I'm in? So clearly you're marketing well or you're networking well, or are there some maybe advice you'd offer? Where are you finding these talented women? And maybe how might that apply to other communities who they need board members, they need volunteers? Any thoughts on on that kind of recruitment effort? Yeah, I think, you know, so we have a very particular niche. So our our members are women's in their 20s and 30s. So we're able to have that more targeted marketing approach. Um, one thing we've really tried to work on the past few years is uh, making sure our organization is, you know, more diverse um, as, you know, as diverse as possible. But I think one thing that really sets us apart is women, they get something in return for the time they put into the organization. So I really like to figure out, we ask them when they sign up, why did you join YWA? And it can be from you know meeting new friends to gaining leadership skills to volunteering in the community. And then we try to, based on their answers, make sure that we are meeting them with what they were seeking and what uh, motivates them. And so I just think too, we have so many current members or past members who have real life stories of how YWA changed their lives. And, you know, people see that and they're like, I want to be a part of that because who wouldn't, you know? And I can't even tell you how many people have gotten new jobs or promotions or met their spouses through the organization. Wow. So. There's kind of just something for everyone, but I think you have to, you know, with us all being volunteers, all having jobs, some of us having families, I think you have to, there has to be something in it for people to give you their time. Yep. Yep. And so I try to be really mindful of like, how can I make sure that this person who, you know, is giving me five hours of their spare time each week, how can I make sure this benefits them in the long run? That's so well put. And clearly you're doing that well. And I guess I'm, I'm making note of several things that one, your use of a survey, which I think is fantastic. In other words, do we as nonprofit leaders ask our volunteers, why did you get involved? Yeah. Um, you know, most of them will give you a general answer, but maybe if your survey is a little more specific, you'll find out what kind of experiences they want. And sure enough, there's the win-win. Uh, you know, the other mm -hmm. thing, Lauren, you said was the kind of practical experience. I'm thinking if I'm a young professional, um, I could be on the finance committee of a nonprofit organization, right? Or I could be on a special event committee or all those things like you did when you first started, you're giving me resume building experience and clearly that's paying off. Yes, definitely. And I mean, you know, not every nonprofit is structured the same, but I would imagine most, you know, if someone was willing to raise their hand and offer to help, uh, a lot of us would greatly appreciate the help, you know? So <laughs> I think it's, Sometimes it can be scary, you know, to put yourself out there and raise your hand to help with, you know, the finances, but my guess is most would be willing. Well, and like you, well, exactly. And, and of course, what you do such a good job is you define these roles. What you said, didn't you say 80 some committees or 80 some yeah. chairs? So we have within our board direct underneath our board or 16 board directors, we have, I want to say 10 different committees and right. under within them is 80 chairs total. So everything from like a senior data chair to a uh, development chair to our golf tournament chairs. I mean, every single thing that it takes to run a company, we have a chair for. <laughs> See, I think that's, that's again, brilliant in that Lots of nonprofits, I think, recruit with a vague notion of join our board or join our committee, but you don't really tell me what I'm getting into. And mm -hmm. so you define these opportunities and experiences. And it, it, do you literally have job descriptions for all these positions you described? I'm guessing there's some kind of methodology behind it. So I know what I'm getting into if I agree to do so. Exactly. We have job descriptions for all of them. We have 
this is, these are the skills you can plan to take away from this role. Um, these are the other committees you'll be working with a lot. I've really been trying to foster more cross collaboration between the committees because right. again, we're all volunteers. There's only so much time we have. Um, but I think, you know, that's a really big one to any organization success, uh, but it, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, it, it seems to me any listener can think, all right, what am I doing to define the volunteer experience? How do I promote it? How do I kind of articulate it as clearly as you do? And obviously the success you've, uh, seen is evidence that it works. Now, you have not always had kind of this remarkable growth. Well, you've had growth, but you told me, I think in our previous conversation, when you arrived about five years ago, the organization was nearly out of cash. So talk, yeah. about, talk about arriving, talk about arriving in a nonprofit setting when you're out of money and what do you do? Oh man, I, well, fortunately this was before my time uh, in a leadership role and I really admire the current, the president who uh, stepped into those shoes, but you know, I, well, one, we were a little low on money because we've given so much of it away to the community, which is a great thing. Yeah, uh, we no, were very generous, but maybe a little too generous. Good uh, problem to have maybe. Yeah. Right? So, you know, I think for the past five ish years, six or five, yeah, we have just had really dynamic leaders um, who have treated YWA like a business and, you know, running it accordingly. And I think we got really clear on, you know, who our target client target client was, who, um, what our messaging was, what we were raising money for. I, we just elevated the whole programming, uh, our stance in the community we added an advisory council. I mean, we just, you know, did all these things that we see a lot of successful nonprofits doing. And since then, um, we're just, we've been hugely successful. And now having, you know, a nice bank account, it allows us to think, you know, more about how are we going to continue impacting women in Austin? Yeah. You know, and I look at it not just as our members, but also not people that are members. So we do scholarships uh, to women for women going to college every year. Um, we partner with other nonprofits in town and do mentorship programs with this and we fund them. And so having, you know, a healthy bank account, it just allows us to give back more, which we're all really passionate about. Yeah. I mean, that's your mission, right? To do that. And you need money to do it. And yes. I guess, Lauren, it, your your financial model, it, it dues and annual dues plus special events generate money and or could and people make straight? Yes. Okay. Got it. So those are kind of the three channels of revenue for you? Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, membership is obviously a big one. Um, this year, we did pilot discounted memberships to those with financial barriers, which we're really proud of. No questions nice. asked. You just... Yep apply. Um, and then, yeah, events, sponsorships. Uh, we also run, uh, as I mentioned with the Young Men's Business League, the Austin Under 40 Award. So that's our biggest fundraiser of the year. Gotcha. Well, and again, I think a lot of nonprofit leaders can relate to that. Your membership dues or whatever, in essence, are like an annual fund for most nonprofits. You're maximizing sponsorships. You're maximizing your events. Of course, we'll talk about event management in a pandemic in a minute, but uh, we'll come back to that because you were able to maintain, I know, some of that given your own personal uh, expertise there. <laughs> but I got to go back to this, what I think I heard you correctly, you know, 80 to 100 members of are in leadership positions. Um, so it's, it, it seems like a lot. All right. So let me ask mm -hmm. if I'm a listener, I'm like, wow, Lauren, isn't that too many? But how do you manage <laughs> 80 to 100 leadership volunteers? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, that is a great question. I don't know quite how we do it either, but we do it. Um, no, I think, well, one, these board of directors, these VPs that are managing these committees, um, they are just so talented at connecting with the volunteers and engaging with them and um, 
it's it's just really incredible to see. And I get asked all the time by other, you know, similar type organizations, like, how do you keep these 80 plus volunteers committed throughout the year? And exactly. again, I think it just goes back to they get to see, you know, their what they're working on in action. So, for instance, we hosted our first ever golf tournament this past year and the reason to pivot a little bit, but the reason we got into golf was when COVID happened, we were like, how do we continue to provide our members with networking opportunities, uh, skill building, but in a safe environment. And so we introduced golf lessons every Saturday. And as you might know, golf is primarily a man's uh, sport. (laughs) Right. And we decided we wanted to change that. And, you know, I work in finance, so being able to know how to golf is so important to, you know, client relationships, um, promotions. So I'm, well, until I learned how to golf, you know, I was always left out of those conversations. Right. And so um, with the, having this first ever golf tournament, we had chairs that their whole role was to throw this golf tournament and they raised great money. We sold out. It was just to see it all come to life. I think it really, it just makes people feel proud of themselves, which they should. So I'm a firm believer in giving people ownership, um, tasks, some of the more vague chair roles where they don't have as many defined responsibilities. That's when those are the ones that are likely people are likely to kind of fall through the cracks. So I think you just have to give people ownership. Yeah, it's a great point. And I, well, I'm struck by one, the creative kind of uh, event planning, you got them outside in, in a pandemic, that's probably smart uh, in and of itself. But also you were thoughtful about the professional skill that golf lessons, not just the social aspect of getting together every Saturday. But yeah, good for you. These women who may or may not have ever had the opportunity to get into the golf scene, you're going to help them break through that and be more comfortable. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, now I get invited to golf tournaments and, you know, and I'm not good. Not many people want me on their team, but it's still. (laughs) You're not afraid to go out there, though, are you? Exactly. I at least know what I'm doing. It's good for you. Good for you. I would, we'll talk about the, the, the volume. I assume each committee or, or event-oriented group, they have their own meeting schedule. Or I mean, I can only imagine the calendaring you're having to do uh, managing all these groups. Or is that your point, that they kind of independently organize, meet, and communicate on their own pace? So every committee meets once a month at the same time every single month, uh, the VPs, the board of directors, they're responsible for scheduling the meeting, you know, and then ha- conducting the meeting. I have nothing to do with those okay. meetings at all. Um, yeah, I couldn't, I don't think yeah, I could I was going to say, that. I don't know how your calendar could <laughs> handle that for sure. Yeah, it's a typical, I mean, think of any, you know, big companies uh, structure. So you're going to have the CEO and then underneath you're going to have the, you know, other C-suite and then below that, it just keeps, you know, building down. And so that's how we structured it as well. It kind of cascades down into a management yeah. structure. Um, but yeah. it clear accountability, I guess, back to your job descriptions. Uh, obviously, each group has its own objectives and so forth. And in fact, you, you've you implemented other technology aspects, right? Like Slack or what else have you done or found to be effective in kind of keeping all this organized? Slack has been just an absolute game changer for our organization. It was one of those things we just decided, let's see how it goes. And I actually, I didn't even know what Slack was. Um, (laughs) Yes. Uh, For those that don't, yeah, maybe you can give a description and what it is and how it has worked. Yeah. So Slack is, it's this like messaging system. So you can have one-on-one messaging with people or you can have what they call channels. So for instance, we have our board of directors channel. So that's just the 17 of us in that channel. Um, we have different random channels like, um, oh, one we call water cooler. So this is, you can post just anything kind of random. Like I need a pet sitter, you know, this weekend, or does anyone have a, a lawn care company they recommend? 
And we, you know, we had no clue what to expect when we brought Slack on board, but it really changed the organization in so many ways. One, our board members and committee members get a lot less emails, which I think um, we can all agree we really like. They appreciate that, don't they? Exactly. Uh, Going back to that collaboration piece, I can post something in our board Slack channel, and it might not pertain to everyone on the board, but they can all see it and, you know, know what's going on. I think sometimes one of the things I've struggled with is, you know, I want to make sure everyone is aware of what's going on within the organization, but it's hard to remember to update every single person, you know? Absolutely. So this way they can just do that. And then also Slack was just so important during the COVID period for us because it was really the only way our members had a chance to connect with human beings other than work. So that was, um, it was, it was a light we didn't realize people were going to need. Yes. Well, again, Kudos to you for being creative and responsive uh, in a situation that, of course, threw everybody for a loop. Yeah. And Lauren, could you see Slack or that type of communication channel applying to any nonprofit, or do they need to have, I guess, enough size to their board or volunteer structure where it makes sense? But I'm, I'm thinking their listeners right now thinking, wow, I wonder if my board would adapt to Slack. But any thoughts on what? situation might work or not work in terms of that kind of technology and communication? Yeah, I could see. I would be hard-pressed to find an organization that couldn't benefit from yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I use Microsoft Teams at work at my real job, and yep. I don't think it comes close to the capabilities that Slack has. So um, I highly recommend it. But nice. So yeah, we're gonna so. we're gonna we're gonna promote Slack here in this episode, right, Lauren? Yeah, right. Maybe we get Slack to sponsor this. <laughs> exactly. Well, again, but I, I'm just hoping if, if listeners out there should be thinking about, all right, what about changing up the technology we use? Because I've heard that over and over. Volunteer board members saying, you know, the, the nonprofits' emails are lost in the email onslaught, and so it mm-hmm. sounds like this provides kind of a unique communication channel that keeps everybody connected and. One of the things I was going to ask you, Lauren, because clearly, and we're going to talk about this, you're getting better year after year. Is there a built-in evaluation process? In other words, you're you're bringing this talent together. They're doing great work. Is there are there elements embedded like an evaluation process so that you know this year's golf tournament's better than last year's or anything like that? Well, we have you know an overarching strategic plan um, in terms of. KPIs and OKRs and whatnot. Um, I think that's something we're still trying to get better at. I am pretty data-driven. And so coming into the year, we did a huge membership survey and we're able to, you know, garner some, some good insights from there. We, you know, we really want to know how the membership experience is for everyone Right. Um, and then, yeah, we're just, I, I think too, with the, with COVID, that kind of, we were, we did have some of these, you know, KPIs and then we kind of had to change them a little bit, but it's, it's something we're trying to be a lot better at. Well, it sounds like you've got naturally kind of motivated and proactive people that are going to look at that feedback, I guess, in the survey, and they're naturally going to want to do better than last year. And in fact, but I was going to ask you that, Lauren, because if I understand correctly, a lot of the officer positions turn over annually. So how do you maintain continuity in your planning when all the leadership's turning over? Yes, that is such a great question. And that kind of, you know, goes back to part of the reason why we were a little cash dropped there for a little bit. So our entire leadership changes every year. Wow. And the way I describe this to someone is imagine if you work at a company and not only does the CEO change every year, but everyone, all the VPs, all the managers. (laughs) Wow. It's probably going to be a little chaotic. And that's what we are running into because each president would come in and have a different vision and change it all. And so you're just not gaining forward momentum at that point. And one of our past presidents, Virginia Moore, she she realized this was an issue. And so she 
we worked with a nonprofit consultant here in Austin named Tara Le Levy. She's amazing, but she helped us build out a three-year strategic plan so that when each VP and each president comes in, we're working towards the same goals and not, you know, totally recreating them. And I think that's been pivotal in the growth we've had and just where the organization is right now. So I can put my fingerprints on the plan and for my year, but I'm going to be guided by the plan that's already in place. Is that right? So I'm not reinventing the wheel, literally. Exactly. And each VP can kind of add their own little flair to whatever, you know, their pillar is, but a president can't just come in and change it all, change the entire direction. Gotcha. Gotcha. Can I be reelected into a leadership position or is it you have to rotate on an annual basis? You can. Um, we've had a few roles serve the same role twice. Um, and you can be back. I've been on the board. I think this is like my fourth year or something in different roles. We try really hard not to have people do the same role two years in a row because Everything, almost every time we see, they just get burnt out from it and they're not as interested in it going into their second year. So we've kind of learned that, you know, people have this one year in this one role to really make an impact and then they rotate to a different role typically. How does the process work in terms of one, you're nominating, I guess, based on you know, the efforts you described earlier, but do, do you match people up based on skills to position? And are you kind of steering some people based on skills, you know, they have, and Hey, would you mind sharing this committee or whatever? How, how do you manage what seems like, you know, lots of positions and lots of people? Is there a matchmaking process, I guess? Yeah, that's a great question. So Board members can be nominated by fellow members, uh, but everyone who wants to has to apply. And it's this very lengthy application. And then we conduct interviews of everyone with the executive leadership team, which I want to say is about six of us. Okay. And sometimes these are members that have been involved for a really long time. So we know, you know, they're committed to the organization but sometimes they're brand new. And I have this one current board member named Eunice. She's my VP of membership. She joined YWA in January of this year. And our board interviews are February. So she applied for uh, VP of strategic planning. I'd never met her. And we interviewed her and everyone, when she got off, everyone's jaw was just dropped. <laughs> we were like, this person, I was like, she could be president tomorrow. Rock star, a just, rock star right away. Oh, yeah. amazing. But you take a risk because you don't know this person outside of this 30 minute interview. And right. so, you know, you're like, well, I just hope that they really are as much of, you know, a go-getter as they say they are. But I took a risk and I said, you know what, Eunice, you, strategic planning is one of our, um, it just, I, I think it's a bit more of a senior role because you want to really know the ins and outs of the organization. Right. But I said, I need someone who is, you know, really strong in membership. And I was like, I, you're it. And she has done such a phenomenal job. And so I think, you know, sometimes it's like hiring for any job or role. You you take a risk or you know someone is going to be great. And sometimes the role people apply for, I get, you know, so many applicants for certain roles, but not enough for others. And it can be a puzzle piece to try and figure it out. We also find something else for someone to do, maybe. Is that what you're doing exactly. sometimes? Yeah. And some people, quite frankly, they might not be ready for a board role. And so what we do is we put them, um, I created senior chair roles. So these are going to be a little bit a higher demanding role than your normal chair roles and less than a board role. And so this way they get, you know, more um, leadership experience. They get to attend uh, board meetings if they want. And so it's kind of like the groomer for when they're ready for a board member role. 
Yeah, it's a leadership ladder, isn't it? You've created yeah. almost opportunities to, and I guess, is it almost an expectation that when I join, I'm expected to serve in some sort of leadership role, or can I just join and, and be a member and, of course, enjoy the, the social and other kind of networking dynamics? Oh, you can totally just join and be a member. We call it, you get to craft your journey. Nice. And whatever appeals to you, you get to do that. I have one um, member. She's not a chair. She never wants to be, but she loves going to our volunteer events. And that's great. That's right. perfect. You know, that's what we're here for. And, you know, I... Yeah, we don't force people to do it. There's literally no commitments. Uh, if you're just a general member, you could to attend as much or as little as you want. Yeah, but I bet you you have created a culture, though, that I bet has a lot of uh, dynamic individuals who want to do things. And talk about that, though, for a minute, that that journey, because I, I run into a lot of board members who say, you know what, I served and I, I served my term, but I never really got to plug in. And so it sounds like, are you literally asking them when they join kind of what they'd like to do during their tenure? And thus you kind of have an early idea of what they might be willing to do. We ask them, you know, kind of what their motivation is for joining. And then if they would be interested in becoming a chair or board member, I think you raise a good point. Like we probably could be finding out more about that. I have found that people think being a chair or a board member, a president seems um, scary. You're right. Right. And it's really, I mean, it's not anyone can do it. <laughs> I, I promise, you know, You're being I, modest, I know, but <laughs> well, but you make a good point that I wonder if as nonprofit leaders, when we meet a volunteer, we ought to just say, Hey, during your tenure as a leader on our board, would you be willing to serve in one of the senior roles? You know, yeah. in other words, I'm not going to twist your arm right this minute, but I bet most of the women you are running into have, of course, they have leadership potential. And yeah, how do you kind of make that a comfortable opportunity? And that's why we really have this nomination uh, form for people to nominate other members. Nine out of 10 times when I walk up to a member and say, you should really apply to be on the board or to be a chair. They always say, what, me? <laughs> I'm like, yes, you. And so I right. think you just often, this is how I became president. I had people believe in me and tell me they believed in me when I didn't see that. So I think it's important to make sure you're, you know, constantly reminding people that they can do it. That's such a good point, Lauren. And, and you've done it well. And I would encourage nonprofit leaders that, you know, don't just assume your talented new volunteer on the board is, is going to assume a leadership role that you have to reinforce it. And, and you've been quite a good uh, encouragement provider, right? That has, yeah. I guess, kind of kept the pipeline full of talented people. Um, mm -hmm. I, I know personally, Lauren, you've had experience in special event management and all that. And so maybe talk a minute about what did you do with the special event? Were there any kind of things you did in particular during the pandemic that helped I guess, keep things in afloat. Yeah. I mean, whew, that was not, a not fun. fun. <laughs> no, I don't think anyone was enjoying all those pivots. Uh, I, you know, the two that really stick out to me, we've, you know, kind of already discussed was one was the golf tournaments and then um, also Slack. And that really gave people that sense of community. We did, you know, we tried our traditional programming which includes like speaker series. And um, we do this one thing called party of eight, where we pair eight random women together and they go have dinner. Nice. So we tried all of these things virtual and, you know, at the, when it all started, people were into the virtual thing. And then it was like, no one was attending these. They got things. tired of them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So what we were what we really emphasized was anything we offer virtual needs to people need to have, be able to take something away from it. So for instance, we did a LinkedIn uh, workshop and nice. that was hugely successful because people can sit there on their computers and actually do something. And then they walk away with something, you know? Great. Point. So um, we have transitioned pretty much 90 percent back to in-person. 
I live here in Texas, so things are a little bit more open than uh, maybe. (laughs) Everywhere else, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. But we still do try to have some virtual options uh, to make sure, you know, part of our DEI efforts are to make sure that, um, you know, people feel comfortable. And, you know, I realize not everyone does feel comfortable in person. So we still do offer hybrid kind of, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and let's talk about that. You, you, you've been intentional about DEI. Thankfully, organizations, many and most of organizations you and I talk to in the nonprofit sector are thinking about DEI, but, but you all have literally done things about it. So talk about, you agreed that DEI needed to be a focus. So what'd you do? Yeah, so we call it uh, DEB, Diversity, Equity, and Belonging. And we basically, a few years ago, really started to become more intentional intentional about our DEB efforts. And this started with, you know, we now have uh, a VP of Diversity, Equity, and Belonging that sits on our board. She has a committee under her. And so these folks are just really making sure that DEB is at the forefront of every part of our organization. And, you know, I think for so long, we thought about DEB and efforts of our members. And so making sure we're recruiting diverse members, our goal is for our membership to reflect um, the city of Austin for women in their 20s and 30s. And every year we're, we're making um, strides and it's getting better, but you know, it's, it doesn't just change overnight. But, but oh, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt you, but so, but you're that gives you the literal numbers to frame this goal around, right? Instead of a vague, we want to be more diverse. You're saying if the population of Austin is, you know, based in X percentages, you're trying to have membership that matches that. Is that right? Correct. You, I feel very strongly that if your your DEI DEB efforts have to be tied around data, and so we started collecting. Uh, demographic data on our members about two years ago. We've continued to expand it over the years. So it's everything from, you know, what is your race to your LGBTQI status to are you a veteran? Um, Do you have a disability? We're really wanting to make sure that it, we incorporate every type of human. So yeah, it's been great. Um, We also have a program called YWA Rise, where we are trying to intentionally uh, create kind of that leadership ladder for women uh, from diverse backgrounds. And I want to say of our 80 chairs, 60% are white. Um, And so, you know, still a lot of room there, but definitely better than it used to be a few years ago. And uh, the Kind of final note on DEB, we took it one step further this year. When I added that VP of DEB role, uh, I really felt it was important for her to feel supported in her efforts. And, you know, she's building out this DEB program for us. And it's hard to build anything from scratch, you know? Right, right. And so I felt it was important to hire uh, DEB consultants that truly specialize in this and that she could work with. And so we hired Heuristic um, and we've been working with them for the past few months. They are fabulous. If any other nonprofits are looking for DEI consultants, I highly recommend them. But with them, we've built out a three-year strategic plan just for DEB. Uh, so. Very- well, very yeah. impressive. And and what I was going to say, Lauren, and commending that is that, yeah, it's one thing to talk about it and do some goal setting, but you put your money where your mouth is too, right? You hired some uh, talent, uh, consulting talent to help you even more implement these good ideas. Exactly. And we do things, you know, where we underwrote the cost of a few of our board members to attend DEB training. We last week we had a DEB facilitator come and speak to our members about unconscious bias. It's something, you know, I think we're all really passionate about. And also our members, we can see in our annual membership survey, they're really passionate about it, which we love, you know. Yeah, that is just a win-win all around. Has to be gratifying for you to see it come to fruition. Not that you're there yet, but it, you're <laughs> have to be comfortable with the progress you're making and 
Lorna, it's terribly impressive to see all the things you're juggling. Again, as a volunteer, it's amazing. Um, is there anything else you want to do while you're president? <laughs> you know, as a strategic planner yourself, you've accomplished a lot. You certainly could stop now as president of YWA, but I wonder, <laughs> are your wheels still turning? And what are you seeing um, on the horizon for YWA? Every day they're turning. Um, no, it's it's so fun to, that's what I love about this role is you get to think of something and then you get to try it and do it. And if it doesn't work out, it's okay. Uh, but I would say, so one thing that a lot of our members, you know, either join us for or looking for from us is to switch jobs. And one of the channels we have in Slack is a career resource uh, channel where people post job openings at their companies or they say, hey, I'm looking for a role in X. Does anyone know anything? Right. And I think there's still so much we could build out with this. I think we could have interest groups, for instance, you know, a YWA entrepreneurs group or, uh, you know, personally, I would like to create a women in finance one. Right. And so that way, you know, you're helping each other out, you're building those connections. And then I also would love to, and this is not going to happen in the last six months of my, uh, <laughs> Yeah, don't don't bite off more than you can chew, right, Lauren? <laughs> exactly. But I would love for us to have a, a real job board. So companies to come to us, you know, I have, not I, but we have access to 500 of the most talented women in Austin. And so, you know, having them posting their jobs for them and helping them connect with these women, I'd love to see that happen eventually. I love that. Well, and of course, it leads to my kind of wrap-up question for you in the sense that, uh, one, if someone wanted to follow your lead, and you've given great examples of why this experience has been meaningful to you, but speaking of that job board, I bet there are many, many talented nonprofit leaders, maybe already within your membership or members who might consider leading a nonprofit. I wonder what advice you might offer someone like that. Yeah, I think, you know... It's just so rewarding. I feel like every kind of millennial I talk to, they just want a job that speaks to their values. And when you work in nonprofit, you really get to live that and breathe that every day. And so I think, you know, when if anyone is interested in volunteer work, I say just do it because you never know where it could lead. I never in my life thought I'd be sitting on a podcast with you speaking <laughs> about this. So I just can't emphasize it enough. That's so well put and good for you. I hope listeners that maybe are not yet in the sector will follow your advice because again, that was it for you, Lauren, right? You just literally signed up one day at YWA yeah. and, and what, five, six years later, uh, you're you're having great leadership experience. And, and again, I'm grateful for what you're doing and hope that many listeners, maybe within your membership and within this podcast audience, will consider following your path. Um, Thank you. You've given lots of great advice. As you know, one final parting gift, if I could ask from you, what what's a book that's been meaningful to you, Lauren, that maybe we could lift up for our listeners? One uh, leadership book I really enjoyed is called Reality-Based Leadership by Cy Wakeman. And it's really all about leading in the present. I think, you know, some not sometimes, all the time, if you're someone <laughs> right. like me, we're thinking, you know, five steps in the future. And I think that's important. But sometimes, um, you know, just being present in your leadership style and it's all about like not making up stories in your head and just working with the facts that you know. And so that's been, you know, sometimes when I'm stressed out about something or, you know, maybe I have that volunteer who suddenly disappeared on me, right. not making up some story about why they disappeared and just going with the facts that I know. So yes. I recommend that one. Love it. Happy to lift that up amongst the show notes of lots of resource material that you have provided or ideas that we'll include in the show notes associated with this episode. And of course, both for folks in Austin who I can't believe they would not have heard of YWA <laughs> given the marketing you're doing, but and, and frankly, for folks all over the world 
who'd like to learn more, maybe the model that you've created there, where can they find out more about YWA and you, Lauren, yourself? Our website is youngwomensalliance.org. Our Instagram is Austin YWA. And then we're also on LinkedIn. Those are kind of our, our three platforms. Um, and then, yeah, my bio and all of our board's bios are on the website as well. Well, I'm excited to direct people to the good work you and your colleagues are doing on the board. And kudos to you for continuing to do such great work in Austin. Lauren, thank you for joining me on the path. Thank you. This is a true pleasure. I appreciate it. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Lauren as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas that can guide you on your professional journey, but maybe more importantly, in this case, give you practical ideas to better manage and engage volunteers and board members. Lots of great ideas from Lauren. Don't forget to check out the show notes there on our website, patentmcdowell.com you can find out more about her and all of the great work happening in Austin at the YWA. As always, I'm grateful if you would share this episode with just one other person on the path. And if you haven't already, make sure you go to the new and improved podcast page at PattonMcDowell.com and you'll see a follow button top right corner that'll connect you to any of the podcast platforms so you can listen to this and other of the now 135 episodes that are part of this podcast community. Don't miss out on any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday as well as bonus features we're producing every other month. If you like this episode, make sure you click on the episodes button. That's at the top of the page as well, and you can scroll through all of those previous conversations, including the one with Lauren. Thanks, as always, for what you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now. And keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.